So I invite you this morning to turn to the gospel lesson, which is uh, page 10. Now many of us are new to this community because it's a new community. So we began meeting uh, as a launch team a year ago. So none of us really are, are uh, any older than a year old in our relationships with each other, unless we knew each other coming into to Emmanuel. This is a, a brand new church. We began meeting weekly four months ago, and many of you I've met since uh, we, we launched here at Uplift High School. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed about Emmanuel, about, about our church, the people that, that, that are coming here and a part of our community, is that our interactions with each other are pretty positive. They're, they're very... Uh, uh, very energetic, full of, full of positivity, people making new friends. Uh, there are good vibes in our community. And there's a sense of hope and expectation that uh, we can take these relationships further, that we can continue these relationships. Perhaps that's not been your experience as you've started here, uh, but for many of you, you have had an experience of you've met a new friend or perhaps you've encountered a new style of worship that you really enjoy, that you really like, and chances are that there's been something positive and good about this community that you really appreciate. And, uh, and, I, and I'm, I celebrate that. I love the fact that we are starting out as a healthy church and uh, that there's promise of not only internal growth, but also loving our city externally for the, for the love of Christ and for the health and for the joy that we have here to, to be expressed and extended beyond our community. Um, now, for a community like ours, in the place of promise that we are in, we have a, we have a fork in the road that's, that's coming down the pike. There's a fork in the road that we have not yet faced. Maybe some of us have faced on an individual level, um, but community-wide, we haven't faced this fork in the road just yet. And it's not a doomsday fork in the road. It's just a fork in the road that every relationship at some point has to face. Uh, the first path that we will, uh, well, the fork in the road will, will, will be this. We will be hurt by each other. We'll be annoyed by each other. We'll be some, at some point along the way, the people that you're meeting and making friends with and really enjoying, at some point, they're going to get knocked off the pedestal because... They will do something to criticize, annoy, frustrate, exclude you. Um, and as soon as we find ourselves annoyed or exasperated or frustrated, we're going to find ourselves at that fork. The default path that most people take when relationships uh, turn sour, when they get frustrating, is the, is the, it's the default path and that is the path of disposable grace. It's the path of disposable grace. There's a movie that came out when some of you were babies called Fight Club. <laughs> and um, the narrator in this movie was played by Edward Norton, and he describes his life as an independent adult. This is what he says. Everywhere I travel, tiny life. Single-serving sugar, single-serving cream, Single pad of butter, the microwave cordon bleu hobby kit, shampoo conditioner combos, 
sample packaged mouthwashed, tiny bars of soap. The people I meet on each flight, single serving friends. Now, the narrator in this movie wasn't just describing the fact that you meet acquaintances and that you have acquaintances. Acquaintances are good and normal and healthy. Um, he was lamenting the fact, when he was talking about single-serving friends, he was lamenting the fact that all of his relationships had become disposable. All of his relationships had become disposable. And this left him with a profound sense of emptiness and loneliness. When we go on the path of disposable grace, we exercise the right to dispose of relationships as soon as they become an inconvenience, as soon as they become an annoyance, as soon as they become a source of pain, we dispose of the relationships. As soon as they become costly, as soon as they become painful, when there is neglect, when there is criticism, when we're dismissed, when we're wounded, we dispose of relationships. We leave them behind. That is the path of disposable grace. Every single one of us has a red button. And that red button has labeled piecing out. Um, now, sometimes we, um, uh, we have to press that button because we're in a relationship that is unhealthy, that's harming us, and we do need to, to press the button, red button of piecing out and say, I need to get out of this relationship. I need to disengage. And in fact, if you want a really good book on that subject, there's a great book that I recommend called Necessary Transitions by Henry Cloud. And basically he says that, you know, there's a reason that you didn't marry your prom date and there's a reason you're not in your first job. And that is that you have to go through necessary transitions sometimes. You have to leave behind your commitments and move on to the next set of commitments. And that's normal and healthy. And I affirm that. Um, but a lot of us are tempted to let our index finger hover over that piecing out button. Perpetually. And at any hint of pain, at any hint of I'm not being recognized, at any hint of criticism, we press the red button and we peace out and we disengage and we run because um, it's our right and it's our, we have the freedom to do it. In the history of, of mankind, history of civilization, um, people always, haven't always had that freedom, but we are mobile and we are, uh, we can, uh, create new relationships. We can join a different church. We can join a different small group. We can exercise our options. And a lot of us are tempted to keep our index finger right, hovering right above the piecing out button and press it as soon as things get rocky, as soon as things get painful. And so on the path of disposable grace, we end relationships before they become fruitful. We, we end relationships before they have a chance to really bear fruit. We press the button, we disengage, before the journey is complete. So here's a couple of different ways that that could happen. We're starting small groups in a few weeks. Uh, we're we're going to start them during Lent. Let's say you take a risk and you join a small group. You move from kind of attending on Sundays to joining a small group and engaging during the week. And let's just say that the, that the small group leader um, doesn't, they don't know you very well, they don't recognize your gifts, Maybe you even tell them what your gifts are, your contributions are. And instead of, instead of giving you an opportunity to express those gifts or exercise, operate in the way you want to operate in the small group, they assign you something you really don't like to do at all. Maybe it's a menial task. Maybe it's cleaning up or food preparation or something that's just, 
maybe a little bit of an insult. And so um, piecing out is something that you'd want to do because yeah, maybe you feel a little bit neglected or criticized um, or not seen. And so you, maybe you just stop attending. You find some other reason to sort of disengage from the group. Or maybe some down, sometime down the future, sometime in the, um, in the near future, you step forward and you say, you know what, I'm going to join a ministry team and I'm going to love our neighbors in a way that's radical and Christ-like. And I'm going to do a John 13 and I'm going to maybe show up to the Just Embrace Foot Clinic on a, on a Saturday and I'm going to take care of, of people, give, give people medical attention, care for the, the, feet of, of our, the actual feet of our actual neighbors at this foot clinic, but maybe you get criticized and rejected and, and uh, the person whom, for whom you're caring says something hurtful to you. Um, and there's a cultural clash and you come away feeling kind of wounded from that engagement. You just go, you know what? That was too painful. I'm not going to have that happen again. I'm going to go where, where someone appreciates what I'm going to do. So I'm going to press the red piecing out button and I'm going to disengage. I'm going to go somewhere else where someone appreciates what I'm, what I'm doing. Appreciates the fact that I'm giving up on my Saturday, etc. Um, my parents, when I was growing up, uh, for the first eight years of my life, I lived in suburban Dayton, Ohio. We lived in Kettering. And when we moved there, my, my parents started uh, planting trees. They, they planted peach tree saplings in our front yard. And for the first eight years of my life, they pruned those trees and they cared for those trees and... Eventually, uh, it came time for, for the peach trees to, to actually start really bearing fruit. Up to that point, you know, they were in preparation. And, and right as they were about to bear fruit, um, you know, my parents uh, and, and our whole family felt called to, to move to a different part of Ohio, take on a new calling. And as a result, we had to leave those peach trees behind right about the time they were about to bear fruit. And the people who bought our house, we were, we were so saddened to learn that they didn't like the idea of peach trees, and so they just ripped them out of the ground. <laughs> Happy thoughts. Right about the time that relationships get fruitful in an environment that is centered around Jesus... A lot of us are tempted to rip out the trees, to uproot ourselves, to go somewhere else, to peace out. That's the path of disposable grace. And if we go on that path, our relationships will not bear fruit, like God intends for them to bear fruit. See, we can stay at the level of politeness, and as long as the level of politeness and good vibes and high-functioning relationships work, you know, we, we, we're in. But as soon as that level of functionality breaks down, and you actually have a human encounter where there's fallenness and frustration. If you disengage, you miss out on the full fruit that God has to offer relationships in the church. That's what happens when, when we go on the path of, of disposable grace. We, become, we have a life of single-serving friends. And those single-serving friends never bear fruit. But there's another path that Jesus laid out for us in John 13. There's another path. It's a better path. It's a richer path. It's a fuller path. And this is the path of sturdy grace. This is the path of sturdy grace. On the path of sturdy grace, we see a miracle happen again and again. 
And the miracle is this. The grace of God causes great fruit to come from relational failure. On the path of sturdy grace, the grace of God causes great fruit to come from relational failure. You see, God's grace is durable. The grace that we have to offer one, uh, one to another in our, in our own strength can sometimes be little more than just politeness or just self-serving, self-interested grace. But God's grace is so much more durable. It's stronger, in fact, than death. It's stronger than criticism. It's stronger than failure. God's grace is like a tree that survives winter, that survives pruning, that survives injury. And in fact, from that pruning, from that winter, from seasons of barrenness, from seasons of frustration, comes great fruit, comes rich and abiding fruit. God's grace can take cuts and turn it into compassion. God's grace can take failure and bear the fruit of forgiveness. God's grace can take treason and bear the fruit of tenderness. God's grace can bring great fruit from relational failure. And when we walk on the path of durable grace, which is made available to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God can get, bear great fruit in our relationships. On the path of sturdy grace, we experience and see that miracle over and over and over again. We see the grace of God bring great fruit through relational failure. There's a great phrase in John 13, our gospel lesson, the first verse, which captures this, just in a phrase. And it's the end of verse 1. It it, it says that Jesus loved his disciples to the end. Jesus loved his disciples to the end. And the the phrase here really refers to fullness. He loved them into uh, its very fullness. His love had a rich and abiding, lasting quality to it that was so much deeper and richer and better than a single serving friend. Um, So that means that Jesus didn't peace out when things got messy. Um, There were many people actually that came into Jesus' life that he, he kind of called them to follow him and they kind of decided it was too costly and so they checked out, but he never checked himself out from people that were willing to follow him. So he let the grace of God run its full course. He had incredible peace and confidence that the Father's grace would work through uh, the pain of the relationships that he, that he endured, and he would cause great fruit to grow. And so here's what that looked like. Um, Jesus called his 12 disciples who received really the fullness of his attention and his care and his leadership. And he knew all along that one of these disciples would betray him, this, this, uh, this man named Judas. He knew all, he referenced it from time to time, and even our gospel, um, earlier in, in the gospel of John, it makes reference to the fact that Jesus knew one of his disciples would betray him. And yet, Jesus did not press the red button as soon as he found out that would happen. He did not react in fear. He did not flee from the relationship with Judas. He actually stayed engaged in the relationship with Judas and, and used the opportunity to show him great love. Um, and he actually, in this text, it shows us a beautiful way where he, he even offers him an opportunity to, to receive the grace of God and to even turn around, turn from his betrayal um, 
and receive the grace of God. It says in verse 2 that during supper, um, the devil had put it, already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot um, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this, but he also knew, verse 3 says he knew that the Father had given him all things. Uh, he had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Now, we talked about this last week, but this moment, this private moment, what did Jesus know, and what did he choose to focus on, is the hinge point of this text. And it is also the hinge point of Jesus' mission. What will he act upon? What will he dwell upon? What will he anchor himself in? This is a moment that many of us find ourselves in when we are hurt or betrayed or frustrated by our family members, by our spouses, by people in our small groups, by people in our ministry teams, by people that we extend the love of Christ to. What will we choose to focus on? Will we think about, will we focus on the fact that we've been betrayed, hurt, or criticized? Or will we anchor our hopes in God's great love for us in Christ? Jesus knew that God had put all things into his hands, and he knew what his mission was. He, was, he knew the durability of God's grace, and he let that anchor him even when he experienced the, the, uh, the, the betrayal of Judas. And so his response reflects where his hope was. Verse 4, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and he took up a towel and tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And you can just see, I mean, Jesus is taking off his outer garments and he's taking a towel and he's going around to each disciple and he's washing their feet, and they're aghast, and they're quiet. They don't know exactly what's going on. But he's showing them love. He's showing, this is the heart of God for you. And I imagine that in that moment, Jesus did not feel completely at peace. I imagine that in that moment, Jesus did no hurt, did no betrayal. He knew that, Jesus, that Judas was going to betray him, and he also knew that Peter was going to betray him. And yet, each of these men, he, he knelt before them because he was so anchored in God's love for him, and he actually washed their feet. And he took the, the smelliest, we talked about this last week, feet were incredibly smelly, incredibly messy, um, but necessary to wash. And he took the role of a servant, no one else wanted to wash feet, but he did it to show them, this is how durable my love is for you. This is how durable God's grace is for you. It is so durable that I can wash the feet, the smelly, incredibly awful uh, feet of the one who is about to betray me and the one who is about to deny me before men. I'm going to scrub away the dirt because I am so anchored in God's love for me and I'm so anchored in God's love for you. I don't imagine that Jesus felt complete peace in that moment. But nevertheless, he was anchored in the durability of God's grace. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's grace could penetrate through and actually bear fruit through Judas's betrayal of him. Now, right before, uh, it's not in our gospel reading, but later on in John 13, there's this moment, this really poignant moment, where Jesus says to all of his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And, and it even says that he was troubled in his spirit. I mean, imagine if you were in that position. You knew that someone was going to, to basically hand you over to a cruel death. And it was someone that you loved. It was like a family member, someone you had covenanted with. 
So he's troubled. He says, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. And, and then Jesus hands Judas a piece of bread. Hands him a piece of bread. Now, some commentators think Jesus is handing him a piece of bread to tell him to go away, and this is basically a sign to you that you should be gone. But that's not, what, that's not the pattern of Jesus' life. When Jesus hands someone a piece of bread, he says, this is the bread of heaven. This is the life of the world. This is God's love for you. When we read the Gospel of John in its context, we know that when Jesus hands Judas a piece of bread, he's saying, this is God's love for you. This is how durable it is. You can turn around now. Even in the moment where he he knew Judas would, would deny him, he gives him the opportunity to turn around. That is how durable God's love is. And that's what it looks like when someone is so anchored in God's love in Christ, so, so anchored in God's durable grace, that they can extend an offer of love, that they can wash the feet of their betrayer in the moment when their heart is most troubled. Now, when Jesus, Jesus eventually would be betrayed by Judas, Judas would bring the authorities to Jesus, they would, they would take him, they would strip him down, not only of um, his outer garments, but his undergarments as well. They would shame him before the world. They would whip him. They would beat him. He would bleed. And he would hang on the cross. And on the one hand, you could look at that and go, um, uh, failure has, is the last word in this relationship. Betrayal and failure and human sin has taken over. But if you look at it from the perspective of the grace of God, you see Jesus' arms outstretched uh, for the life of the world. You see the bread of God, the bread of life being offered to the entire world from that place of betrayal. You see um, the blood of the new covenant being displayed and poured out for the life of the world. You see love being offered not only to Judas but offered to the whole world. You see God's love. You see God's durable grace. And from that cross came God's incredible durable grace, which gives us the resources we need to endure in our relationships, to bear great fruit in our relationships. There was incredible fruit that was born from Judas's betrayal, but it was born from the grace of God, which is more durable than the grace of politeness, which is more durable than disposable grace. On the path of durable grace, we stick with relationships that we have covenanted with. Like I said, there are some times where it's time to move on. But you know, as your pastor, I would rather you move on from a group, from, a, from a, maybe a small group or from a ministry team, or even from this church, going out in mission maybe going out to plant a new church or maybe going out to start a new small group or maybe going out to support a, a, a church that isn't necessarily from, 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 from our church but maybe from a different church on the north side. I would rather send you out to show durable grace to another community or to another small group than I would for you to be pressing the red button of peacing out saying, I'm out of here because I was hurt. I would rather, I would rather see you sent out than for you to peace out. Let's talk about how that might work. So let's say you're, you're, you're back in that small group. Your leader hasn't recognized your gifts. You're, not, you're doing menial tasks that, that feel insulting. 
maybe even there's a there's a there's another person in the small group that says some immature things to you and you're frustrated and um you know instead of finding ways to disengage from the group you stay in and you continue to engage and you let people know who you are and um and you find that God's grace is actually transmitted through those frustrations and and your relationships actually go deeper because you were honest about your feelings with the leader you shared with them your frustrations and then you got through to the next level of relationship and the next level of partnership. Or maybe it's the foot clinic. You, you, you continue to show up to the foot clinic. In fact, maybe you even, um, you even wash or care for the same set of feet um, of the person who was criticizing you, putting you down um, the previous month. And you ask them what their name is and you get to know them as a person. You allow them to get to know you as a person. And along the way, if, uh, you'll probably say something like, you know what, I don't like it when you insult me. I don't like it when you criticize me. Would you, can, we, can we have a relationship where there's mutual kindness? And both of you are transformed. God's durable grace keeps us in those relationships. And when, over time, what it looks like when our church practices this and anchors ourselves in God's durable grace, there's a profound sense where there's safety. We're loved despite our faults. Um, we, um, we have freedom to fail. And as a result, our relationships go, go deeper and they're, they're richer as a result. Um, you're free, in, when you're walking the path of durable grace, you're free to confess your own sins and actually hide the sins of others. On the path of disposable grace, it's the exact opposite. You're, you're eager to, to hide your own sins and expose the faults of the people who, who hurt you and criticize you. And God is calling our church uh, to walk the path of sturdy grace. Um, someone said of Archbishop Cranmer, um, a, uh, an Anglican archbishop that had a profound shaping role in the Anglican church, he said, to do him a hurt was to beget a kindness from him. When you betrayed Cranmer, you, you would get a kindness from him. And he continues, he says, His heart was made of such fine soil that if you planted it in the seeds of hate, they blossomed love. Now, Archbishop Cranmer didn't um, blossom love from hate because he was a really good person trying to try really hard. Archbishop Cranmer knew the love of God displayed in the cross of Christ, and he anchored himself in it. And over time, God made him uh, a man uh, that could give kindness from hurt, that actually give the kindness of God when he was hurt, when he was criticized. And God is calling our church to nothing less. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.